Good morning, Melanie. Okay, so over the last month, we've been in a series that we're calling Tent Poles. Uh, this is a series in which we have been exploring the core beliefs of our church. And just like tent poles that hold up a tent that ultimately uh, gives space for people to congregate underneath it, we believe that our core beliefs are, are non-negotiables, the things that we are willing to to take a bullet for, that these are the things that ultimately create space for those of us who are from very different backgrounds, different uh, family life experiences growing up, some socioeconomic background differences. We, we, we may think differently, vote differently, have different things we're passionate about, different sports we play, um, or, or, or things that we're interested in. But ultimately, because we kind of hold on to these core beliefs, we are unified and we can do life together as a family. And so we've been exploring what those core beliefs are. Today, we're going to focus on our fifth core belief or our fifth tent pole. And this has to do with the Holy Spirit. If we can throw that up there. This is tent pole number five. It doesn't matter. I've got it right here. You've got it in your outlines if you want to grab them out. And there it is. And this, this tent pole has to do with the Holy Spirit. We've already recognized in our first tent pole that, that God is trying Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And today, we're focusing, zeroing in on the Holy Spirit. And this is what we believe. The Holy Spirit was present at the formation of the world and has been working throughout human history to glorify God and bring about his purpose and his plans. When we place our faith in Jesus, God gives us his spirit as both a mark of his ownership, his way of saying, this one's mine, and as a source of empowerment. The Holy Spirit dwells with believers, guiding, instructing, and empowering them to live as God's representatives. And then this is the part that I really want us to zero in on today. As Christ followers, we seek to live under his control daily. Now, this is a huge component of, of our beliefs as a church. But I have to be honest, we've, we've actually spent quite a bit of time talking about the Holy Spirit in the last couple of months. Our previous series that we did, Welcome to the Family, as much as I didn't anticipate it, really became focused on who is the Holy Spirit and how does the Holy Spirit, his interaction in our lives affect us. It makes us family. Because of the Holy Spirit's presence, we have been adopted into God's family. Because of the Holy Spirit's presence, we've been empowered to do uh, we have gifts and talents that we are to use to build up the body of Christ. So we've talked about many of these things. And if you did not, were not part of that conversation, you weren't here for that, you can find all of those conversations online at lighthousecommunity.com. But I have to be honest with you, uh, we have been talking a lot about it intellectually. But about a month ago, I, I remember pretty vividly on that Sunday morning, I read out of 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And you don't have to turn here, but this was a piece of one of the messages was uh, was something that Paul said about how he approached sharing the gospel. And these were his words. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith may not rest on human wisdom, but upon God's power. And I have to be honest, at the time, that was an inclusion in, I, w I was more gunning for what he had said before that, where he said, I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's what I was focused on. I just kind of included that second part as an addendum because it, it, it kind of all fits together as one unified thought. Well, as God often does to me, I, he woke me up at about 3 a.m. on Monday morning. And as I'm laying there in the stillness of our room, um, just kind of wondering, why am I awake right now? Uh, that verse or those two verses, 1 Corinthians 2, 4 and 5, began to just run through my mind. I have resolved, no, uh, my message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith may not rest on human wisdom, but upon God's power. And I could not help but ask myself as I lay there, is this true of me? Can I honestly say, is this true of us as a church? Can we honestly say that our faith is not dependent upon human wisdom, but upon an experience of God's power? And I will be really bluntly honest with you. As I lay there at 3 a.m. on Monday morning, I, I couldn't help but answer that question in the negative. No, that's not true. 
Not in the way that I want it to be. Now, absolutely, positively, there are ways that I don't even recognize the Holy Spirit moving. Even in crafting our series, oftentimes I go in thinking, this is what it's going to look like. And as we get into the middle of it, I realize he had a totally different plan, and it's so much better than what I anticipated. And I absolutely see the Holy Spirit moving. But... More often than not, when I show up on a Sunday morning, it is with a lot of notes that I have spent the week crafting and preparing and, and, you know, spending time studying and praying over. And I come in with my plan in my mind. And I always say, Holy Spirit, if you want to go a different direction, you go right ahead. But more often than not, I pretty, I stick pretty close to those notes. Even if I don't have to look at them, they're still running in the back of my mind. And there's moments where I have to wonder, am I relying on the Holy Spirit showing up or am I relying more upon my human wisdom, my ability to articulate and put together a cohesive thought? And at the end of the day, I recognize that information will never lead to transformation. The Holy Spirit it is an encounter with the living God. That is how we are transformed. That is how we change. And so as I looked forward to this tent pole, knowing I've already talked about a lot of information about who the Holy Spirit is, the thing that I yearn for more than anything is not that you would learn more about the Holy Spirit, but that you would have an encounter with the Holy Spirit. And I realized that I probably wasn't the best person to help create that space. And so what I I realized pretty quickly is I needed to bring in some others who have been on this journey or maybe a couple of steps ahead of even me because today I need to come in the posture of a student, not as somebody who's trying to teach. And today is the first time I've ever stood before you without a message written and prepared and stuck in the back of my mind. Today I only show up with a handful of questions and some friends that uh, I've invited to join me. And so I'm going to invite Josh Harrison, who you know, who is one of the pastors of of Canopy Church that meets here in the afternoon, and Todd Proctor, who's been a mentor of mine, uh, who is also part of Canopy Church, but also travels around the world in his role with Alpha USA. I'm going to invite both of these guys to come forward. And we are just going to have a conversation. So, uh, hi. Hi. So glad that you're here. Uh, Let's begin just by giving you each an opportunity to, I know that this is a conversation that both of you have been grappling with, particularly as as you're leading Canopy and you're a pretty new um, iteration of the church. We're so grateful that you're here, by the way. Um, And how has God already been kind of leading you into the same conversation that I'm just kind of waking up to right now? You hit the mute button there, that yellow button. There you go. Good morning. Um, so grateful to be here in this conversation. Eric, I was this is one of Josh. Josh, maybe even better, this is a conversation I'm so passionate about because I'm still learning. I feel like I've been on a really the last decade a journey of discovering more and risking more. So um, I feel so encouraged being with you. Um, grateful for. Eric, I mean, you have a remarkable leader um, who is so gifted, but even more is just really humble and available. And even what just happened on stage, you just, you know, that's, that's a big deal. Um, there are not many pastors that are taking stages this morning and saying, there's got to be more than the best message I can prepare in my own wisdom and, you know, assimilating information and try and there's there's so much anxiety leaders carry to stages feeling like i've got to i've got to hit this one out of the park again um and what eric is saying is you know there's there's going to be moments where i do good or bad or whatever but there's so much more that god could do that i could ever do and i've discovered that as a leader um leading in many different contexts um and you know, for me, I guess I'll just say I was radically influenced by what God is doing um, across the pond in England. I haven't had a chance, like probably many of you, to be in different places in the world, but there's something unique happening there. Um, maybe some of you have tracked that the Anglican Church has been pretty dead in the water for a long time. Um, they are in a place where uh, tons of gorgeous buildings. I mean, Josh and I, every time we walk in this space, we feel so grateful that our church gets to use it. But I'll tell you, I, I was just in London a few weeks ago. Um, there are buildings that would play, put this beautiful building to shame, but they're empty. Um, other than a handful of people, you know, well into their twilight years and hanging on for dear life. And um, it's become so bad that over the last decades they've been selling these buildings off. 
as pubs, as hotels, as just, you know, real estate to be demoed. And then in the midst of that hopelessness, and that's the key, in the midst of that desperation of there is no plan that's going to save not just a church, but a whole sphere of the church, the Anglican church, um, God began to show up because leaders began to, as you saw Eric model today, just open their hands, acknowledge we don't have, whatever it's going to take, we don't have it. They begin to come together in unity and say, Holy Spirit, come, do whatever you can do because that's all we've got left. And uh, he began to lead that church back to a new vitality. Um, I, every time I go to London, which is four or five times a year, I'm seeing new leaders raised up. There are hundreds of these churches now being replanted across the UK with young leaders coming with fresh vision. But at the epicenter of it all, there is this desperation that has been sort of sustained over the last decades. And for me as a leader, going over and seeing that kind of desperation on display and seeing it contrasted to what I was used to here in Orange County, leading a larger church where we had tons of great vision, tons of great strategy, but so much of our success could be fairly easily defined by, well, that was our great team with great lights and great plans and great bands and great buildings. And we just began to long for more. And that was about, you know, over 10 years ago. And um, so I've been on the journey. I'm still on that journey. The new community Josh and I are planting is starting with this tent bowl, you know, as kind of our primary conviction probably. And so I say all that to say I'm so grateful to be here today in this conversation. Awesome. Absolutely. And we're so thankful to this church as well. I, I know many of you know, maybe you don't. Um, Todd and I are part of a church plant that meets in this building on Sunday night. So we'll be back here tonight. And we just want to say thank you to this community, to Eric, to all of you for your generosity in opening up the space. It's been uh, such a gift and such a blessing to our church. We're so grateful. Um, and as Todd said, grateful to be here with you today. Uh, this conversation for me is one that um, I don't know that I was looking to have, just that the Holy Spirit sort of initiated in my life. You know, I always uh, wrestle with kind of how this works. What, what are the things that I, I choose and the things that God chooses, you know? And this is one of those things where he said, you didn't choose me, but I chose you. Um, and so for me, I grew up in a, in a little church uh, in northwest Montana, kind of a world away from here, um, where we talked about the Holy Spirit a grand total of one time per service. And it was the same point in the service. It was at the very end when we sang this song that ended uh, with Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, which as a kid was terrifying to me. I mean, the picture of Holy Ghost in my mind just, it, it, well, you get it. It conjures up all these interesting images. But um, that was that was the depth of my experience with the Holy Spirit. That and, and occasionally... Um, not during the service per se, but sort of in the life of the community, people would make fun of the churches across town that, that talked a lot more about the Holy Spirit, you know. Mm. Um, I'm not sure what the theology of our church was. Uh, you know, I was just a kid. I'm not sure. But but I know that, that the Holy Spirit wasn't a part of the life of the community. Um, and for me, I didn't I didn't really know what was missing. I just sort of felt like, okay, what you do as a Christian is you go to church and, and you try not to do bad stuff, you know, and, and, and if the Holy Spirit ever came up, it was always sort of like this, uh, supercharged conscience was the, was the idea that basically what he existed to do was to help me understand the stuff that I shouldn't be doing. Like uh, a glorified Jiminy Cricket. Yes, exactly. Like a glorified Jiminy Cricket. Um, and that was about the, the, the extent of, of my own personal understanding and experience with the Holy Spirit until, um, I got to high school. My little church didn't have a high school group like you saw here. I think I might have been the only one in my church that was in high school. So some friends invited me to the crazy church across town that we made fun of, um, you know, after services. Uh, and I ended up going to this youth group where I saw a very different um, kind of understanding of what it meant to be a Christian, a follower of Jesus. Um, and I saw on display there what, what Todd had described, which is this desperation, this hunger. It's kind of if, if we had encapsulated in a word, the word would be more. This mm -hmm. idea that there has to be more. There has to be more than just going once a week to a church and sitting and listening to somebody talk and then trying as hard as I possibly could to live that out the rest of the week, you know, sort of white knuckling my way to heaven. Um, there has to be more. There has to be more that God has for us. There has to be more that God has through us. That's what I experienced in this place. Um, and, and I didn't know, I couldn't put it in those terms at the time, but when I walked into the building, I, I saw people, particularly in worship, I saw young people my age that were, that were showing up expecting God to do stuff, you know, expectant that, that, that in worship, um, they could meet with him, that, that they, mm -hmm. that there could be transformation that could happen, that, that chains could break, you know, all of this sort of stuff. And, and I didn't, again, I didn't know 
what to what what terms to put this in, but I, I remember walking in the door, and the, the first thing I noticed was I saw people that were raising their hands in worship. You know, which for many of us we've been around church, that's not a big deal. You have to understand. For me, as a kid growing up in the church I grew up in, that was a big deal. I never saw a person raise a hand in my entire life. You know, uh, I think the term is frozen chosen. Is that is that you know we sort of just stood in one place. Yeah. Um, and, and, and we tried to get our way, th- like, like the worship was a couple of hymns sung by the pastor up front at the beginning of service. And w- it was something that was more to be endured <laughs> than to be enjoyed, you know? Um, and, uh, I just saw something very different on display and, and mm. this might sound small, but throughout that whole summer, I'm watching these young people worship with an expectancy, with a passion, with a desire for more. And I felt God telling me really simply to do the same thing, to enter in in the same way. And specifically what I felt him saying, and this sounds funny to say out loud now, but was he was telling me to raise my hands. Um, and I just, I felt so uncomfortable. I'd never done it before. Hmm. And so I stood at the back of the room that whole summer just telling God, no, like I don't want to. I'm afraid people will notice me. People like I'll, I'll stand out. And he's telling me like, you're standing out now. You're the only one in the room who's not, you know. Um, but but for me, it was it, it seems like a small thing. But to, to a 13 or 14 year old who has this desire to fit in sort of embedded in, you know, this desire not to, to embarrass yourself. It, I, I couldn't I couldn't overcome it. So. Long story short, throughout the whole summer, I felt this conviction, this this calling from God, and just wouldn't do it. Um, I ended up going to kind of a summer camp with this crazy youth group, and while I was there, there was a time where the pastor at the front of the stage, uh, at the front of the room, said, "Hey, we'd love to have people come down and pray, and just create this space in the front for worship." And I came down. I just felt like God was stirring something. I stepped out of my seat. I walked down front, and I, I heard him saying the same thing as the worship. We're, we're praying down front as worship is happening. He says to me, "Raise my hands," and I said, "Like, no, I'm not going to do it." And I'm sitting here having this fight with God, silly little fight with God. And suddenly, this kid who's next to me—he must have been a senior in high school—he just looks over at me. Didn't, I'd never met him before. He was from a different church at this, at this camp. He just reached over, he grabbed my hand and he, he like reached up over his head. And I don't know, I mean, <laughs> I'd like to say it was an act of obedience, but it wasn't on my part, it was on his part. Yeah. Um, and for whatever reason, the Holy Spirit chose to use that moment and he showed up in a, in a powerful way. I mean, I remember just being overcome with emotion and the emotion I was feeling was love. Um, it's the craziest thing we often talk about. Um, and, and in my little church would, would sort of make fun of the church across town and their emotional reaction to God and sort of the stuff that happened around the work of the Holy Spirit. But what I realized in that moment was all of it's a response to love. Mm. It's all a response to relationship. He showed up in my life in a tangible and physical way and said, I'm here with you and I love you. And, 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 and as I've grown, I've realized that that's what this life with the Spirit is. It's not the signs. It's not the fruit. It's not the gifts. It's a relationship with God. That he walks with us, this infinite creator God who is, who is the most interesting and powerful being in all the universe says, I want to be with you. I want to spend time with you. And the Bible always defines the Holy Spirit in relational terms, not as some distant or absent force, but as God with us. Jesus says, if you love me, obey my commands and I'll ask the Father and he'll send you another comforter, another advocate, another helper. They're all relational terms. That word actually is is paraclete. It means one who calls out from alongside of you. From alongside of you. It's one who walks alongside of mm-hmm. you. So I say all that to say for me, what's been most transformative, and there have been a whole lot of moments along the way, what's been most transformative is understanding that the Holy Spirit is God with me, that he is... He yeah. is Everything that I've, that I've experienced in Jesus, everything that I've experienced in God throughout the Bible, throughout my own life, just present with me on an ongoing basis. And... For that reason, um, you know, a lot of people ask the question, you know, do, you, do you believe in a second filling of the Holy Spirit? And this is not uh, a thought original to me, but I say absolutely I do. It comes after the first and before the third, you know. <laughs> There's, it, it, it's not, it's, it's not this like, okay, I had this conversion experience and now I have this gift experience. It's no, I'm in relationship with God. And, and just like a relationship with my wife, I, I don't want that to be, we have a, an initial date, you know, and then we have a wedding day and then we're good to go for the rest of our lives. No, I want ongoing relationship. Mm. And that's what I've, that's what I've encountered. And there's a whole bunch more I could say, but we'll yeah. leave it at that. That's great. And I love that you, you kind of point out that he's, he's called the paraclete, the one that comes alongside of us. So, like you think of somebody, Marcel just ran a really long marathon and, um, just having somebody running alongside of you, encouraging you, helping you when you're stumbling and whatnot. And I love that he, he calls him another one because in the Greek that, that language is not a different one, but one that's a, the same. Just like Jesus saying, Hey, 
I've been walking with you for a time. I'm going to send another just like me who will be with you to comfort and encourage you. So I've been reading the book of Acts uh, as we're getting ready in September to begin studying it. And one of the things as I'm looking at it through the lens of the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit is all over the place. Like it, the Holy Spirit is dripping off of every page. It, we talk, often talk about it being like the acts of the disciples, but the reality is the acts of the Holy Spirit moving through his people. And yet as I look at the church at large today, it feels like the Holy Spirit is very much in a secondary or tertiary role, almost pushed to the background. It's Father, Son, and Holy Bible more than Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And I just can't help but wonder how have we gotten to this point where we've taken the fire of God that, that kind of just pushed the, the, the early church forward and, and we pay lip service, but that's in, in many cases about all that we do. And why have we, how have we gotten here? How have we downplayed the work of the Holy Spirit in the modern church. Yeah, I think, um, I mean, it's probably a long conversation we could have, but to boil it down, I'd say, because uh, we don't need them to show up. I mean, honestly, if I, if I looked at my own life at different points, including since the experience that I just described to you, there have been lots of points where I, I kind of say to God, whether uh, normally not out loud or normally not actively thinking this, but sort of in the way I live my life, like, I've, I've got this. Yeah. I'm good. Um, and I, I think... I think we do that in the church and in our own lives as Christians all the time, where we basically live lives that we can manage, and so we don't need God to show up. Yeah. You know, I, there's there's um, this kind of theological title that I think my, my first church that I grew up in was uh, a church that was cessationist, which meant that they believed that all the stuff that we read about in the book of Acts was for the book of Acts, and then stopped at the end of the book of Acts. And now um, the Holy Spirit has sort of taken this, this back seat. I, I, I personally don't find that to be biblical at all. And we could get into that conversation another day. I, I, I see that we should long for and ask for the same stuff to happen today. Um, but the reality is there, there are all sorts of churches across, uh, particularly the Western world that are either, um, blatantly or functionally cessationist where we say like, no, you, you know, we've, we've got, we've got all that we need. Like Todd described, we've got good buildings. We've got good lights. We've got good, good worship music. We have good preaching. We have everything we need. Genuinely. We don't need the Holy spirit. Um, my experience, though, traveling the world is, is there are no cessationists in, in, in the developing world. Um, I've been to Africa. I've been to Asia. I've been to the Middle East. And it doesn't matter what kind of church you walk into. It doesn't matter if you're walking into a traditionally Pentecostal church, you know, Assemblies of God or another denomination, or if you're walking into a Baptist or Presbyterian church. Everyone is asking for the Holy Spirit to show up because there's an actual desperation there. They're in, in an environment that is difficult or hostile or or low on resources. And it's it's literally when you're praying, Lord, give us this day our daily bread, you're asking that. It's not metaphorical. It's, yeah. God, we need you to show up if you don't show up. We don't eat. If you don't show up, you know, in, in persecuted parts of the world, if you don't show up, our church will cease to exist. And and there's just a different hunger and a different desperation. And I think there's something about the Western world. There's something about our context that that has has made us apathetic, has made this easy for us, where we can come to church and we can show up and we can go through the motions and do all the stuff that we need to do. And we genuinely, um, whether that's church or just life, we genuinely don't need them to show up. I've got everything under control. I can handle this. I've got, you know, I've got, I've got a, a direct deposit coming in on the first and the fifteenth of every month. I've got, I've got insurance. I've got all this sort of, and none of this is bad stuff. Please don't, please don't hear me say it's bad stuff. But we've, kind of, we've kind of got manageable lives. And yeah. the most, the most fervently we tend to pray is when stuff goes off the rails, yeah. right? When, when there's a diagnosis or when there's a loss of a job or something going down with a, with a family member, or a child, then it's like that desperation rises up in us and we pray with a different mm -hmm. fervency and a different passion. Um, all that to say, um, I don't think it has to be that way. I think that there are ways that we can cultivate an actual desperation in the middle of everyday life. And, and what the church in Acts had that we don't tend to have is this sense that Jesus had invited them into a grand adventure, this grand mission that they could not accomplish without his power. That's it. Jesus had asked them to be his disciples, his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And in all three of those places, there was a lot of risk. There was a lot of danger. They were putting their lives on the line on a daily basis. And they knew that they had no capacity to influence anyone in any of those spheres. They had this overwhelming sense of mission and purpose that they knew was beyond them. And so they prayed with passion. They prayed with fervency. They said, Holy Spirit, if you don't show up, we can't do anything. 
That's what Jesus said, right? Apart from me, you can do nothing. How often is that true in my life? I don't know if it's always true. I think sometimes it's like, no, apart from you, I can do all sorts of stuff. I I got this. I got this. Jesus is saying, no, you can't do the stuff I'm asking you to do. You can't convince somebody to transform their life. You can't bring about redemption and restoration in the broken places of this world. I mean, if you've ever wondered the impact that we can have in and of ourselves and, and how much power we actually have, just read the news. Anybody ever feel desperate reading the news? Yeah. I can't do anything about that. Neither can you. But God working through us can. We need him to show up or we've got nothing. And I think sometimes we just reduce the mission down. We reduce our lives down. We, you know, this, I said this last, two weeks ago to our church, you know, it's like the kingdom of God is this rushing river. Like he's, he's rushing toward the redemption of all things. He's rushing toward the transformation of lives and transformation of the nations. And what we do is we walk up to the river and we think, oh, isn't this beautiful? Isn't this powerful? And we pull out our little, our our little hydro flask, you know, and we take a scoop out and then we go about our lives and think that that's going to be good enough. We get this little hydro flask of the power of God and the presence of God. When the call is what? Let's dive in. Dive in, go where this thing is going. Experience the power on a regular basis. Experience the fullness and life. And I, I mean, all that to say. Mm. Long answer. Todd's got more to say, I'm sure. I, let me let me just, one of the things is that you were saying that, that just began to well up in me is we've almost shrunk down what God has called us to do and to be as citizens of the kingdom of yeah. God, living as his ambassadors. We've shrunk that down to the goal of our life is to live our best life now, yeah. our most comfortable, safe life, and, and shining in the way that we love our kids and, and build a nice little family and unit and all that kind of stuff. And then to, to quote something Dane Sanders once asked you, he said, you know, what do you need Jesus for? I would just say, what do we need the Holy Spirit for when we're just content with with living our best life now yeah we can be nice people without the holy spirit you know we can we can invest in our community we can raise our families we can do all that sort of stuff without the holy spirit what we can't do is what jesus has asked us to do which is make disciples be witnesses to the power of his resurrection be a tangible voice of hope work with him toward the redemption and restoration of all things we can't do that apart from the holy spirit so yeah it's it's a matter of what's our goal is it to be nice christians or is it to experience the radical adventure of life in the spirit. What he said. <laughs> All right. Let, then let me let me ask another question. What what are we afraid of? What in the Western church are we afraid of that causes us to shy away from diving in with both feet and letting the spirit of God kind of carry us along? You know, it's interesting. Um, I think ten or certainly twenty years ago. I think, particularly as I interacted with pastors and and a lot of my role in ministry right now, particularly my work with Alpha, is just interacting with leaders all over the nation that are usually leading pretty large churches. And again, 10 years, 20 years ago, we were afraid of going off the rails. I mean, I I was in that boat. I I grew up in a church in in the Bay Area um, where we never talked about the Holy Spirit. But what I experienced with the Holy Spirit was primarily through TV (laughs) And it was really crazy, and I wanted no part of that. And there was a sense of, gosh, whatever that is, we want to stay away from it. And the idea of the the answer to abuse is non-use. And that can't be the answer. Um, I say that to say I don't think we're as afraid of that now, Eric. Mm -hmm. I I mean, there are people probably that are, but in general, as I experience the American church and a new generation of leaders, which you represent, I I think there is a sense of... um, that fear has waned, and it's it's being sort of overcome by the hunger, the desperation. Yeah. But I will say we are afraid of losing control, yeah. and we're afraid of not getting our needs met. Mm. To be honest with you, I mean, it, you know, if, if, we, if our natural tendency is to want our best life now, you put a group of those people together, what are they going to want? <laughs> They're going to want what the, we want. And I think the greatest challenge of the American church, particularly in a county that's world-renowned for narcissism and for, for, I mean, seriously, I'm with leaders all over the world. They know Orange County is the yeah. place where everybody is, you know, I mean, they assume we all live on the beach and all drive Teslas and all have Disneyland passes and all that. Um, Weekly the, Botox shots. and, <laughs> yeah, exactly. and stuff, but, yeah. but there's some truth of that. We're all in pursuit of that. 
And we, maybe more than anywhere else in our country, have to guard against as the church, assuming that our best good is our our best in terms of what we perceive our best to be, I should say that. And my experience is of the churches I've had a chance to help lead and churches I see other people trying to lead is there is a natural gravitational pull always away from risk towards comfort and towards holding tightly to what we perceive to be good for us. And you just kind of dropped a powerful line that I know is a deep conviction of yours, Eric. It's Canopy. Our church is the beneficiary of this, that we are blessed to be a blessing. Mm -hmm. We are part of a season at Rock Harbor Church where God really wrecked our church um, around this idea of the the, the call of Jesus is to give ourselves away. Mm -hmm. And so we were called to not only generosity, but realizing that that means the Holy Spirit is usually going to show up when we're risking the most, when our hands are most open. And that sounds, you know, that, that sings really well in the song, but really living that out is practical, it's tangible, it's sacrificial. I, you know, my favorite metaphor for this is I think a great and discouraging picture of the American church is a cruise ship, um, where, you know, if you've ever, who's been on a cruise before? I mean, cruises are really interesting because you're out in the water. There's the perceived sense of some sort of adventure, mm-hmm. but really it's just complete controlled comfort. And the, and the crew exists for your benefit, right? I mean, wouldn't Eric make a great cruise ship captain, by the way? I mean, he would be so striking in that white get-up with the hat. Um, that's not who he is, but you make a good one. But really, you know, the crew, the crew, the staff exists for the benefit of those that are there and have paid their tickets or, or you know, writing their tithe checks to be catered to and to have the activities they want to have and be taken on this journey that leads nowhere, right? That's, that's not a picture of the church we see in Acts. What I think we see in Acts is this kind of Spanish sailing galleon, you know, or, where there's a sense of there is a crew, but everyone on the crew has a job that exists to ultimately chart a course and raise the sail. And that's the big one because that boat really doesn't go anywhere unless the sail's up. Um, because, you know, there are moments where the oars are used to reposition the boat to better catch the wind, but it's all about catching the wind. And I think that's what you're hearing is there's an awakening in a new generation of leaders saying, man, for the church of Jesus, it's all about catching the wind. But to do that, everybody's got to play. And we've got to sign on for a true adventure. It's yeah. going to cost us. It's going to risk. But ultimately, that is what we are most created for. So what I'm hearing you say is that... Uh, we are ultimately not in control. That's anathema to the Western church. We are all about control. We're all about having all of our ducks in a row. So in case we get sick, we've got our health insurance there. And in case we uh, break down, we've got our state farm agent who's there to help us show up when you snap or something. Um, We've got everything lined up to help protect us and insulate us from discomfort. But what you're suggesting is that we were not designed to be safe. That following God is not we dictate. Because I think, I think so often when I think about the way that we approach church, it's I want to add a little bit of Jesus. I want to add a little bit of God to help make my life more placid and safe. That Jesus will protect me from discomfort. But the reality is he warned his disciples, listen, in this world you will have trouble. Look at the people who suffered the most in the Bible. It was his closest followers were the martyrs. Um, and, and, he said, in this world, you'll have trouble, but you can take heart in the fact that I've overcome the world. So it's not like the brokenness of this world gets the last word. It's that we can rely upon the fact that as we follow him, or, or, or to, to borrow some language out of C.S. Lewis, as, as they're watching Aslan walk down the beach, one of the kids looks over and says, you know, you know, is he safe? <laughs> and, and, and one of the other characters goes, safe? Heaven's no child, but he's good. It's not safe to follow Jesus, but he is good. And he is ultimately in control. And what I'm hearing you say is that we, as as participants in or crew members on this galleon that is the church, or this iteration of the church, and there's other galleons that are also with us, um, that eh, there's one church. So let's just be all be on one galleon, okay? There's a, there's a sail. The only thing that we can do is really raise the sail. But ultimately, it's the Holy Spirit that has to fill it and propel us. Otherwise, we're dead in the water. Is that what I'm hearing you say? Yep. But I, but I do think, 
It is a journey, and and I I think if there's something just practically encouraging I can offer to you today is as we hear about this compelling call towards more and adventure, mm-hmm. it takes it takes many steps. Okay. It takes baby steps. You know, for when when Pete was leading worship this morning, I just felt drawn to go to the back of the room and um, just just watch you guys worship. And th- there's there's a first of all, you guys are a beautiful family. It's so clear. This is Josh and I are talking. This is a family. Mm-hmm. And that's that's huge because many churches are just an event and settle for just that. Um, however, I, I was drawn to these windows, and um, I've never, I mean, I love the space. Again, we've been here many times, but I was just struck by these windows. They're beautifully architected and manicured, but there is an opening for the wind to come through. And to see that there's something more out there than just the stained glass and the picture and I just had that sense maybe prophetically for not only this church, but for your lives. It's, it's not that we have to shatter the window. Now, God could do that. But it is almost this assumption that Jesus makes that we've got to have space open. Mm-hmm. There's got to be space for the wind to come in. And that is that takes time to learn both personally and for a community of Jesus followers to do. It's, it's one risk at a time. And, mm-hmm. and one of my favorite quotes... Um, is, is Oswald Chambers, who wrote My Utmost First Highest, says, Complete weakness and dependence is always the occasion for the Spirit of God to manifest His power. Yeah. Do you hear that? So if you're like, what does it mean to open the window? Complete weakness and dependence. That's the window. That's the welcome mat by which the Spirit says, okay, now I can come in. And we're not people that are, as we're hearing, you know, us all agree, that are good at being weak and dependent. And though, 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 but those window moments are when God does his best work. Yeah, and that's such a countercultural call. I mean, you look at this and you say, this is, this, if you're thinking about this, this is going to cost me something. This is going to cost me something to transition from this kind of independent, I can, I can control my own destiny sort of mindset, which is very much embedded in the culture of the Western world. I mean, for goodness sake, we just celebrated Independence Day, right? And this for us as Americans is, is, a, is a highest virtue. We are independent. We can do everything that we need to do. We're in control of our destiny. Jesus says, I'm the vine, you're the branch. <laughs> Dependence is the call there. Independence is not a virtue for a branch. What's an independent branch? Dead. It's a stick. <laughs> right? This is not a virtue in the kingdom. So it, 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 it requires sort of a countercultural way of thinking. I mean, we have to change our, what Todd is saying to open the windows. It's not just enough to say, Lord, would you show up? Although we should pray that way. It's, 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 there's gotta be an emptying of our hands and of ourselves if we want to really receive. Um, so it costs and, and maybe that's the reason to, to, you know, what, what are we afraid of? We're afraid of, of the cost. Yeah. Yeah. It's not only, I, I, I agree with you. It used to be that we were afraid of going off the rails because we saw people who we felt like had taken it so far that there was just no checks and balances. But uh, I've been reading Francis Chan's Forgotten God, and he kind of points out two things that we're afraid of. On the one hand, we're afraid of praying that God would show up because we're afraid he won't. And then our faith is kind of built upon this very shallow foundation that can easily crack if he doesn't. Uh, On the other hand, we're afraid that he will. And then he'll ask us of something that will actually pull us out of our comfort zone. And if there's one thing I'm identifying as we're having this conversation is that one of the idols that we need to lay down, if we are to allow the Holy Spirit to kind of fill the sails of our lives and propel us forward into what he wants to do, we need to let go of our desire to be safe and comfortable. I have found, and maybe this is you as well. I have found that the number one thing I tend to pray for whenever I pray for people is safety and health, right? Like when you're going on a missions trip, God, keep them safe. <laughs> and it's like, that's not the point. Like in this world, you have to, yes, we'd love for them to come back. But at the end of the day, do you trust me enough to allow my will to be done? But we have made such an idol out of our safety and out of our comfort. And I, for one, need to lay that. out of the safety of even knowing I've got a safety net of, of notes with me on the stage. So just in case the Holy Spirit doesn't show up, I've still got something to say. I just hope I get to the point where I just shut up if the Holy Spirit is not speaking through me. Right. Or if we find ourselves singing the songs by rote memorization and they're not actually resonating with our hearts, just stop singing. So how, how do we, as a people who are addicted to comfort and safety, 
and the security of knowing what's coming, how do we, and even addicted to our own control, or at least that semblance of control, how do we get to the point where we're able to begin towing into and jumping into the stream with both feet, or to use the metaphor of the galleon, how do we begin to raise the sail so that we're in a posture? Notice, the, the sailboat's not able to control the wind. The wind controls the boat. The wind is ultimately the one that propels the boat. And yes, there's a captain that steers it. Let's not press the metaphor too much. Jesus is the captain, so you're not in control still. How do we raise the sail and get our hearts into a posture that we are at least receptive in these baby steps? Yeah, I think my initial thought is um, two things. One is listen more than you speak. Um, And I mean this in prayer. How often are our prayer lives defined by the stuff that we say to God? Um, when, if what we're talking about here is relationship, if what we're saying is the Holy Spirit is the relational presence of God with us, then relationship requires two-way communication. You know, with my wife, it doesn't work very well when I just talk at her. Um, she's not here today, but she could, she would be nodding along vigorously at this point. Um, but that's often how I tend to approach my relationship with God is I come with a list of things that I expect him to do on any given day. Uh, when the reality is it's relationships. So, Spend more time listening than you do speaking. I think you'll begin to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. And that will probably raise all sorts of questions. To, you know, how do I know it's the Holy Spirit speaking? All that sort of stuff. And that's another conversation for another day. And that's a conversation that churches should have as family. I mean, yeah. that's something that, that you guys walk into together. Uh, but the reality is, listen, and he'll speak. Um, and then the second thing I would say is, do whatever he tells you. I mean, whatever he says to do, do. I love in, in John chapter two, you know, Jesus turns the water to wine, this whole, he has this conversation with Mary before he does that, where Mary asks him to do it. He says he doesn't want to do it, which is really funny. And then Mary just ignores him like a good mom does would and turns to the servants and says the best piece of advice in the whole Bible. She says, do whatever he tells you to do. Um, so as you're listening, if the Holy Spirit says to do something, you do it. And then each step of obedience opens you up to more of the spirit it's not that he hasn't given himself to you fully he has it's that we haven't given ourselves fully to him um and so i think i would just say listen and then do what he says um and you'll see you'll see you'll you'll find yourself growing the more you see god working in and through you the more hunger you'll have i mean the reality is as long as we stay sort of in the shallow waters we're never going to experience more but if we want to experience more, we have to take these steps of obedience, these steps of risk that seem uncomfortable. Um, and with each step, we get a little bit deeper and deeper into God's heart for us and for the world. Two quick thoughts, and I know we probably need to wrap up. But I, um, one of them is um, just read the Bible for yourself. And, you know, I, Francis is, is a, a friend of mine. You know, he wrote this book, Forgotten God. He always calls himself Captain Obvious, where he says, I'm just reading the Bible and doing what the Bible says. And I think one of the reasons we see that this flourishing spirit reliant culture in third world countries is they're not inundated with resources and great mm-hmm. teachers. Um, they're just reading the Bible. And it's hard to read not only Acts, but the Gospels. We've been reading the Gospels as a church. We're on our third pass. And it's Jesus led the perfectly spirit-led life. Yeah. Um, and he is, whether it's, you know, overtly stated, which it is in, in ways towards, you know, the end of John, or just you're going, that's what it looks like to be led by the Spirit of God. Um, and so it's hard to read the Bible and go, yeah, I get to opt out of this. It would just seem like you'd read and be drawn more in. And the other thing I'd say is, you know, John Wimber, who founded the Vineyard Movement and I think has made huge, contrib- huge contributions to what does it mean to be a Spirit-empowered church, he had a great line where he just say, how do you spell faith? R-I-S-K. You, you have to risk. You have to risk. And the most important risks happen out there, but they start in here. And there's something about a church family that's willing to risk vulnerably together that God likes a lot. And he, he gives good gifts in those times. Yeah. So here's what I would love to do this morning. is I would love to just use the, the balance of our time, 10, 15 minutes, to just carve out some space to respond. And I'd love to start with doing what, Josh, you just suggested, which is to listen. It's not something we do often. Um, So I'd love to begin by just sitting in our seats or standing up if you feel so inclined or led by the Spirit to just go, Holy Spirit, what is it you want to say to me right now? What, what of all that's just kind of, we've just kind of opened the fire hose and shot you with a whole lot of, of, of thoughts and, and perspectives. What needs to really catch hold of and take root in my heart? And then as we begin to worship, as the words that Pete is about to lead us in, if they 
reflect the attitude of your heart, then I invite you to join him in that. And then Todd and Josh, as, as you feel so inclined, you guys, Todd, especially you, you are somebody who has always been just really gifted at crafting space for the Holy Spirit to show up again. You don't control him. You don't, you know, force him to do it. You just, you just create space. So I'm going to hand it over to you to, to kind of lead out of that time if, if you feel so led. All right. It's great. You know, I would like, could we stand together and, um, cause we don't, we have time, but we don't have that much time. And it feels like one of the most powerful things you can do with moments is step into the moment. And there's something about standing that just says, okay, Lord, I'm here. Um, and the, the, one of the thing I'd, I'd invite you to do is just open your hands to God. You know, this is a, this is a very physical way of saying yes to God. Yes, I'm ready to release whatever I need to release. And yes, I'm up for receiving whatever there is to receive. And sometimes, you know, biblically, you see this in the Psalms a lot. It's our physical posture that leads our heart. So if you're feeling like, well, my heart's not there, that's okay. Sometimes our physical worship leads the worship of our hearts. But just having our hands open. And as Eric said, just just sitting and listening, maybe sifting through a bit of what's been said in this last 30 minutes. I was reading this morning in John 16 where Jesus describes the spirit as the one he gives to, to deliver to us. So there's gifts Jesus has to give that are delivered through his spirit. And, and we know that this is a God who loves to give, give good gifts. And so as we stand here open-handed, this is the best posture to receive. Um, One thing is we just prayed into this morning, it, it just feels like there is a greater risk that God is inviting some of us into. It may not be a risk, or it may for some of you be a huge risk, but that is just to, in ways, sort of go public with that desperation of just saying, Lord, I want what I can't give myself. I want something of what only you can give through your spirit. And so, Holy Spirit, we, we ask that you would come. Holy Spirit, come. One of the oldest prayers Jesus' followers have prayed. We pray now together. Holy Spirit, come. We know you're here, but we ask that you would feel welcome in the midst of our dependence, our weakness, our questions, our broken marriages, our wrecked finances, our passions. Lord, we welcome you. And ask that you would fill this space, Lord, where we're opening windows right now. And I, I do just have, if some of you just have a sense of what's that window that needs to open in your life? Is there a specific aspect of your life where you just, you, there's a real sense of just saying, I need to open this window to let God in. Let the spirit flow into that part of my life that I've sort of protected and controlled. Some of you this morning, there's just a quickening of excitement because you're, you've already been on this journey and you're just saying, yes, I want more. Whatever more looks like, I want that. And there may be even some of you this morning, they're just saying, I want to want more. My heart feels cold to this. I feel skeptical. But I know there's, there's truth being spoken here that I need to step into to see what God has for me. But for any reason, this is the risk. I just want to invite those of you that feel led to come down to the front here. You know, worship, I'm a worship leader like Pete. Worship is sacrifice, not music. And there's something beautiful about the people of God laying the sacrifice, their living sacrifice before God in front of family. And so I'm going to ask right now that uh, if, you're, if you're just sensing, I just want, I just want more in any of the ways described, if that's you, would you come down this morning to the front? And we're going to pray over you in a short but hopefully powerful way. And you can come down. You can just stand open-handed if you want to get on your knees. But this is what family looks like. And this is a declaration that this is a safe place to risk together.
safe place to declare our dependence together. That's good. Many coming, and just feel free just to step closer in so we can make room for those still coming. And yeah, I just would ask that you would just stay in that open-handed posture. And, and here's the good news. You don't have to do anything, but just, just wait. There's nothing you need to make happen. We can't make anything happen. But your worship is to place your life on the altar and just wait for fire to descend, as Psalm 5 says. Holy Spirit, we just thank you that you are moving, you are filling, you are freeing. And now here's the the last part of this, and this kind of ups the ante of risk, is many brothers and sisters have come just in vulnerability saying, we need God. We want whatever God has to give. Here's what's exciting is some of you left standing You're a part of the delivery system. (laughs) Do you know that? That God wants you now not to make something happen or preach a sermon. He just wants you simply to come forward and be directed to one of these men or women and just place a hand on their shoulder, wait for a minute, and see if there's any word of encouragement, of um, a scripture, maybe even a picture, um, or nothing. Because you don't have to make anything happen. It's just saying, I'm here to stand with you in the fact that God is, he's on the move right now. God is here and he's doing his work. So would you, um, elders for sure, but really anyone, seasoned Jesus followers or just people that are passionate to see God on the move, would you come right now and just be so great if every single one of these men and women had somebody with them in this moment receiving for them. So we just invite you to come down. We need more, more of you. This is a mature group of Jesus followers And you are more than equipped because it doesn't take special training. It just takes availability to come and stand alongside one of these men or women. Great. And all I encourage you to do is just wait for a minute and just see if God leads you to pray in a specific way. You don't don't need to interview them right now. You just need to trust that God is doing his work in them. Holy Spirit, you are here and you are delivering the gifts of Jesus. Deliver the gifts of Jesus, Lord. Remind them of who they are. Comfort, bring freedom, bring a greater openness to risk where there's been the idol of control. We lay down kids before you that we have tried to control. We lay down finances before you that we've tried to control. We just want to let you in. We want to open the windows of our lives and let you in. So would you, as is already happening, just begin to pray out loud as God leads you. Pete's going to lead us, the rest of us, in a song, but the song is just the backdrop of the work of God here in front of us. So let's just all join in this moment together, receiving, receiving for others, and blessing with these words, blessing with this prayer over this moment.